From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy showing for February 20th, 2019, a snowy Wednesday in the Swamps of Jersey. And uh, we welcome in Danny Flecker to talk about the world of sports. Good evening. Yeah, it's not good night yet. Please don't fall asleep on me. Um, I, I'm, I assume you are on here to talk about the PGA Tour's policy change that players can wear shorts uh, during pro-ams and practice rounds. Is that the reason why you're on this uh, podcast this week? I did hear that. I didn't even know that was a policy, uh, but it, I mean, if it's a practice round, it kind of makes sense, right? You just want to be comfortable. You're going out there just yeah, well, this has gotten news because it's a tradition, obviously breaking. So there's some golf people that are up in arms. But the 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 reason why I think it's gotten more national attention is that we're going to get some people uh, with some horrible golf tans now and some legs that are... Uh, very slim during during practice rounds for people who have skipped leg day. So I, I think that's partly where this is coming from. Um, Tiger calls his legs chicken legs. Um, it appears he does not have shorts with him in, in, in Mexico City this week. Uh, this policy came suddenly. So there's a bunch of players either in Mexico City or in Puerto Rico this week who were caught off guard and do not have the right gear with them because they did not realize this policy was going into effect this week effective immediately, but yes, uh, this was previously. Uh, uh, they weren't ready for it, but I think when when stuff like this comes down, I'm not. I don't know what golf target audiences, etc. But like, like you do with baseball, you're getting the the majority of your audience aging out, and you need to bring in a new audience and. This has nothing to do with viewership because you're not watching the players take those rounds, but it could be something that younger golfers are are really into that allows them to be a little bit more themselves, uh, you know, during the time that they're not actually golfing and then serious about their profession. It lets them just be a little bit more casual and relaxed, and maybe that leads to better results for some people knowing that, you know, this type of thing is allowed. So I think that's why the policy change happened. It's interesting you bring that. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead, Danny. No, that's, that's the way I look at it when I look at it from like 10,000 feet is that you need to appeal to a larger market now than you did back, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago. And the people that were your prime audience 20, 30 years ago now are, are aging out your market and you're getting a lot of infusion of young, talented golfers who probably when they are with their buddies and, and golfing for fun are wearing shorts and wearing, you know, regular golf polos and aren't too serious. So um, not to say that practice isn't serious for these people, but it allows them to be a little more relaxed and in their own skin. What's fascinating about what you said is that there has been a movement in recent years, and it started with Spieth, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, and Smiley Kaufman on the uh, spring break 2016 um, vacation they took to Breakers Bay in the Bahamas, which allows you to play shirtless. And they were playing golf in bathing suits and without shirts. And there's a course in Hawaii that has the same regulation. And then Tiger comes out, comes back as part of his comeback, and he's hitting pitch shots in a sleeveless Nike workout T-shirt. And it's like, 
hold on a second here. Are we really going to... And, and, and once again, we're not talking about competition. We're just talking about getting people interested in the game. You've got this generation that is the fitness generation. That is a gym rat generation. I follow a guy on Instagram, Colby Wayne, who calls all the golfers he teaches, uh, he, he calls his gym the, the stable, unquote. And that's what they do. And there's this movement towards athleisure in golf. There, there was a whole controversy last year with the LPGA dress code where they outlawed some things that fell too much into the athleisure area versus the golf area. And it is fascinating that you have this whole debate going on about people who are very um, um, passionate that we should lessen and, and, and kind of let go of some of these old dress code regulations, starting with the collared shirt. Why do we need to have a collared shirt? Tiger got a lot of heat for the mock turtle way back when. Now we're going with blade collars, which is still has the buttons, but it's not a formal collar. Um, that seems to be okay. But it's, it's really a b bizarre world for those who don't traffic in it. Yeah, and I get that, like, the whole tradition aspect. I mean, you see it in corporate America, too. You know, certain professions have certain dress codes and everything, but as you continue to, to allow younger generations to come in and they just grow up differently, they do things differently, and it's, it's easier to adapt to what your majority is going to be than what your minority is. And, you know, golf will still have its traditions, much like tennis at Wimbledon, you can only wear white, um, you know, that kind of stuff, and, and I'm sure these players are creatures of habit, it's going to be hard for them to maybe break out of what they've done for so many years. But I do think it appeals to like the younger talent that's coming into golf that's going to allow them during the week, again, just be a little more relaxed and have more of that vibe that it's, you're with your buddies, you're hanging out, yes, you're practicing, you're getting better, but you can be a little more relaxed about one thing. And as stupid as it may sound to some people, but the way you dress and the way you feel does sometimes you know, translate to how you are productive. So No, and... But, you know, it, it's not a bad thing for golf to do. No, and, and keep in mind that the whole reason, and for those out there who are not aware, the whole reason why we are even in this boat is the European Tour did it. Nobody complained. The PGA of America did it for the PGA Championship. Nobody complained. And then last year, all summer, it was heat indexes of 100, and Tiger was wearing four shirts in a round because he was sweating so much. And this just became a point that, like, come on already, you know, Please, it's not for competition, it's for practice. We're trying to stay cool, we're trying to play our best. Can we please just lay off the clothes? Okay. Yeah, relax a little bit. Right? Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, yes, you can lay off the pants on a Monday, thank you. Um, okay, the number one trending topic all day has been apparently that today, February 20th, is Love Your Pet Day. So I know since your sister listens to this, if you don't give a shout out to Ollie, she will be disappointed in you. They had a nice snow day down there, so I'm sure he enjoyed himself uh, a day. Danny's got a dog, Ollie, who is very cute, but uh, tried to wander into the neighbor's yard too many times last time I saw, uh, 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 saw Ollie. A uh, very cute dog uh, who is technically his sister's. All right. Um, Ronaldo's been trending all day. Um, uh, uh, get me updated here. Why has Ronaldo been trending on Twitter all day? Well, they had a Juventus had a Champions League game today at Atletico, and um, you know they lost two nothing. So it was a poor performance by the team. I was watching the game uh, sloppy all around. They weren't able to get any chances in, and uh, you know Atletico really 
seemed to be just very, very comfortable throughout that game, both offensively and defensively. And all that, I had a free kick early in the game. You missed it. Um, the event just didn't really threaten at all throughout that whole game. It looked like it was going to be a, a stalemate, and then Atletico broke through with a corner kick melee in the box. They, they were able to put it in the back of the net to make it one nothing, and added another one. So they're in really good shape going back to Italy in a couple of weeks for the second leg, and really had the event just pinned. Um, you know, with their back against the wall here, you must think to score three goals at least to move on, and, and at least two to, to make it go to extra time. So they could see one of the better teams this year so far domestically knocked out of this competition pretty early. Um, you and I, for those who listen to, to to all the World Cup shows, they know how diehard of a uh, of a soccer fan you are, and how big of a how big of an Italy fan you are. As a fan of Italian soccer, what has been the impact of having Ronaldo in, in your home country? I mean, he's done everything that he's he's done in all his previous stops. You know, the team's in first place. They've dominated domestically. You know, he was brought in to expand their brand on a global scale and to help them get over that last hump in the Champions League. They've been there two out of the last three years and have lost twice. Do that. So, you know, he's not getting any younger. And to miss out on this chance would be really, really devastating for them, I think, from a from a internal discussion standpoint. You know, like, where do we go from here? We have one of the best coaches in the world, one of the best players in the world but we still can't get through this imaginary wall that we've set you know in this tournament so it's going to be really interesting to see how they go about tactically when they go back to Italy you know you tie that game up at 2-2 and then it's wide open from there but it looks like it's going to be a draw 0-0 and heading back home you know you only want to put the advantage of the home team there one nothing still wouldn't be too bad because you know you just need to get one back to, to keep it level but two goals against team that's notoriously famous for just like parking the bus and sitting back on defense and frustrating you is going to be a difficult game for them and then uh, they're going to have to come through and from a fan perspective if they're able to get a goal in the first half then I think that's going to be a lot for them and then they should keep pressing, pressing, pressing and hopefully they, get, they break through again but if it goes into second half 0-0 zero, zero, it's going to be tough for them to get two goals in 45 minutes. Um, you and I have talked at length about the Champions League and the importance of it, which a lot of people in America don't realize, but I think they have been in recent years. There's, I believe, was another game today, was there? Yeah, it was uh, Manchester City versus Chelsea, and um, you know, Manchester City was surprisingly down 2-1 at halftime, but they roared back in the second half and won that game 3-2, and they, they were the away team, so they go back home with the, all the advantages they need to have, and It'd be a shock for them not to advance. As somebody who watches this, and I don't, um, how hard is it to play in your domestic league and then have to move up a level and take your game up a level? It, it, it's almost, I think there's a golf comparison in a sense that you play your regular events, even though the Premier League is obviously much bigger than a regular PGA Tour event, and then you have your majors. And for these teams that are trying to play domestically well, the importance of the Premier League, the fact that if you don't do well, the tabloids get all over you. It can define people's careers. It can get them on the national teams, etc. How hard is it to make that transition between your regular domestic schedule and then Champions League? It all depends on where you're, you're at in your domestic league. For example, you have a, a team like Juventus that's comfortably in first place, and they should be able to focus their energy on the, the more difficult games. And 
that's what it looked like they were doing, and unfortunately they ran into a roadblock here, and now they have to kind of reassess, you know, how the next couple of weeks are going to look for them, um, and go from there and see what types of lineups they're going to put out, who needs rest, who's coming back from injury, who's going to miss the game because of yellow cards. It's tough, and it, it really all depends. You know, if you're in a, a, a fight for your domestic league, uh, like the Premier League is a, is a tough battle this year, you know, you have to understand what matchups you have coming up and where you want to maybe push it, put your foot on the gas or, or slam on the brakes. And sometimes in soccer, it draws a great result, and sometimes a, a win is what you need. So it really all depends. And it's just disappointing. I thought you guys just would come out today at least and kind of take it to them, kind of flex their muscle a little bit and, and force Atletico to be a little more creative with their opportunities. And they just were flat. It just... They were losing in the midfield. They weren't able to get anything behind their defense to, to threaten the goalie. So now it's a reassessment. You know, maybe the tactics they use today they can shift a little bit in a couple of weeks and go from there. So it depends. You know, every league's different. And when you're in a league like England, like in England or in Italy or Germany, where you get three or four spots in the Champions League, you know, as a, as a team, okay, well, as long as we finish in the top three or top four. We're good for next year. We'll qualify for that tournament. But if you're in a league that only allows one or two spots in, it's a little more of a, of a fight to get up there. Um. All right. Let's uh, flip the page here, and then maybe we'll come back to this at the end. Um. Uh. Manny Machado, ten years to the Padres for three hundred million. Um. He, as 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 you and I talked about yesterday, he wanted the money and. Uh, he's not going to get a ring out there, but he'll get nice weather and he'll, you know, just have fun. Yeah, from a leisure standpoint and from a lifestyle standpoint, what better city could you go play baseball in San Diego? You can live out there all year round. Great weather. Um, you know, you get taxed a lot in California, but, you know, when you're making $25 million, it can't really feel too bad for you. Padres have an interesting team. You know, they have a lot of youth coming up through the ranks, the number one farm system in the, in the league. Uh, but... What debt does Machado make on their win total this year? I have no idea. I don't think much, but he clearly assessed his situation and thought that staying out west was his best opportunity for him to be happy. And happy means a lot of different things for a lot of different players. So for him, that's what his happy is. And he's a five-year opt-out, so he can hit the market again at 31, and maybe his perspective or his ambitions or goals will change in those years. But maybe he'll achieve it in San Diego. You just never know. But, you know, for a team like the Padres to shell out that kind of cash, it makes sense when you have young players coming up that are going to be cheap and potentially project to be great players. Then you take your shot, you have your superstar, and you go from there. I have been somebody who um, uh, has been convinced for a while that, um, that, (coughs) excuse me, that Bryce Harper's going to the Phillies, that, that they were going to get one of these two guys, they have the money, and that if it wasn't Machado, it would be Harper. If it wasn't Harper, it would have been Machado. So where do you see Bryce going? Here we are. Spring training is already happening, and Bryce is still on the market. Yeah, I still think it's the Phillies, unless the surprise team comes out and is willing to dish out $325 million a year for him. Um, you know, again, if I were Harper and Machado, I would have taken like a four or five year deal with a contender 
for a hundred million dollars or a hundred and twenty-five million dollars and let that bring me to my next potential free agent contract, um, your value goes up if you're on a contender and you're a playoff player and you are hitting in the playoffs and you win a ring, like your, your value goes through the roof. I mean, look what happened to Pablo Sandoval. He was a bum, an absolute bum that got a $90 million contract from the Red Sox because he was a two-time World Series MVP and he could rake in the postseason, but he was an absolute bum. Like, he couldn't do anything when he, when he came to Boston. So, I mean, you could have seen Machado or, or Harper take like a three- or four-year deal on a good team, get to the playoffs, expand their exposure in that sense, and then when they hit the market again, they could get another big payday. But I don't know where Bryce Harper could go other than Philadelphia at this point unless he goes back to the Nationals and they up their offer. But I would say the Yankees um, would be the spot that Bryce Harper is like destined to go to. But with their own questions on people that they have, you know, Didi's a free agent next year. They have to eventually extend Judge. They have to, you know, they have Giancarlo on the books, and um, uh, Gary Sanchez will be coming up soon. You know, I don't know how much money they want to throw into Bryce Harper to be there, and when they have a lot of young talent on their team, that they're going to have to pay eventually. To me, it's not necessary. To me, it just makes no sense in the world um, to. If they didn't get. If they didn't get Stanton last year, I think Harper would have already been a Yankee. But they, totally. they got Stanton on the books for $25 million a year. Judge is going to command $25 million plus a year. Um, Sanchez is probably going to command you know, between 15 to $18 million a year. Didi is going to be a, a big contract, too. So it'll be interesting to see what the Yankees do with those guys. But for them just to sink money into another player, that is it going to be on their books until 36. Uh, I don't see them doing that. Um, so here we are um, standing here at the edge of uh, the regular season. Um, or sorry, sorry, the the, the edge of, of spring training games. And that, of course, means that we're going towards the end of college basketball season as we talk with Danny Flecker here. Tonight is Duke, North Carolina. Did you see the quote that Zion put on 100 pounds over two seasons in high school? Jesus, I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Uh, let, 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 let me find this. You have uh, worked out for much of your life. 100 pounds in two years is a whole lot. Yeah, that's a lot of weight. But he's also 6'9", so I, I get it. But, yeah, it's a, he's a big boy. He takes up a lot of space. Freshman year, I was small. I was 6'3", 175. Like, I was small. And over the course of about two years, I picked up 100 pounds. I mean, what is he? He's 6'9", 280? Like, he's a tight end. He's an offensive lineman. That yeah. Can dribble, dunk, and, and get around you and block shots and get up. I mean, he's a, a freak of nature. Um, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of Duke games, you know, unless they're big-time games, and He's impressive. I mean, as from an athletic standpoint, to be able to see somebody do that is, is ridiculous. And I was talking with somebody that worked yesterday. We kind of got into a little debate. You know, he's like going to be like LeBron, and I was like, I, I don't see the same skill set in him as LeBron. But he reminds me of a young Charles Barkley. Uh, you know, when Barkley came out of college, he was around the same size, did a lot of the same things, was built the same way. He was a he was a terror in the NBA his first five or six years. He was so athletically gifted and different. Um, Zion, to me, looks the 
same. You know, he, he plays the same inside the arc. He can block shots, rebound, dribble, pass, dunk, block. Like, he can do everything. I, I just don't know if comparing him to LeBron is fair because LeBron, when he came out of college, was maybe 225 pounds. Every high time. school. High school. LeBron never went to college. That's true when he came out of high school. But LeBron's obviously much bigger now. But Yeah. Yeah, Zion, he reminds me of Barkley when he was young. Like, same build, same athletic ability, same type of game. But Zion, 6'7", for Zion. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, just taking the comparison, Gronkowski is 6'6", 265. Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. Le- LeBron is now officially listed as 6'8", 250. Yeah, so, I mean, he's got 25 pounds on him. That's yeah. a lot. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. He's, he's athletically one of the most gifted people I've ever seen play, just from the standpoint of all the things he can do at that size. You don't typically see people that size be able to do stuff that he does. Yeah, seriously. Um, best team in college basketball you've seen this year and why? It's got to be Duke, right? Duke's just been able to do everything, and if they get hot from three, they're... They're really dangerous, and you know tonight's a big game for them. You know, big rivalry game. UNC to be a, a crazy crowd. I think at, at Cameron is going to. You know, tickets were selling for twenty five hundred bucks a piece. Super Bowl prices. Yeah, I mean tonight's a big game. This is one game a year that I always sit down and watch, and it's always fun and exciting. Um, it's a real test for both teams because there's so much more that goes into it. But from what I've seen, Duke has been the best team all year. They just come at you with, with their young talent, their athleticism. Their, when they play against Virginia, Virginia's a tough team to play against. Uh, you know, they were able to manhandle Virginia, and they shot 60% from three, and still won very, you know, were, were able to win easily, never really were threatened in that game. So, you know, you have to say the Dukes here, but it, with college basketball, it, it, you live and die by the three. If you become enamored by the three or you get down, uh, you know, by 10 points or so, you think your fastest way to get back to the game is to take threes. So as long as they keep their three-point percentage, uh, you know, up in the upper 30s, low 40s, it's going to be tough for any team to be able to, to beat them. Um, all right, continuing on the Twitter um, slogan here, uh, hashtag admit movies you've never seen. Where, uh, where do you fall on that? Probably a lot. <laughs> well, especially me. But, I mean, you know, what's like, when you think about it, what's the most obvious movie that you've never seen? So I've never seen The Godfather. Uh, same. Okay. There there you go. That's the obvious one. That is, that would be the obvious one. Uh, no doubt about that. Okay. Uh, Le'Veon Bell was not franchised, was not transitioned, was not anything. Um, to be honest, that's probably, I think, the best uh PR move for everybody's sanity in every PR department. Uh, where do you fall on the whole Le'Veon Bell situation? It's going to be interesting to see where he goes and what he gets. I think he's going to set the market for a lot of upcoming running backs that are going to be extended. You know, Melvin Gordon's one of those guys uh, that is on his fifth year option. What's going to happen with him? You know, a lot of it depends, I think, on Le'Veon and what he gets and how he looks. You know, and what players do moving forward, you know, a lot of people that get franchised maybe multiple times will maybe look at Le'Veon and be like, well, if he was in shape and 
he had his past production and, and he got paid X amount because he did X, Y, and Z in the past, maybe I can do the same. So it's going to be interesting to see just how he, he sets the market for players in his situation and um, players of his position set. You know, what do running backs do moving forward in the market? You know, what do elite players that get franchised multiple times do? It's going to be interesting. Um, but I don't know if he's going to get what he thinks he's going to get out there. You think this is a situation where he could be sitting there? I mean, he's taken a whole year off, which is a lot. I mean, it's hard for people's body. It's hard to stay in football shape and be able to come back and have the same explosion and stuff when you haven't been around your people. Um, I think he's, I, I'm with you. I think he's going to be money hungry and maybe surprised that some people want to see it before they pay up. If I was him, I would take a one-year deal and then get your money. Yeah, it's tough for a running back to do just because of the potential injury risk. But I did see something today that said that he ballooned up to 260 this year um, for, uh, for not playing. And that's, uh, a big, you know, that's a big boy right there if he's a running back. He's yeah. a lot of weight. Um, he'd have to lose about 40, 50 pounds to be back to where he was uh, playing. So... Uh, it, it's just going to be interesting. It, it's going to be an example for a lot of teams and a lot of players that are going to be in these situations moving forward. And, you know, if I'm the players and I am sitting down at that CBA meeting in a couple of years, I am fighting hard to get this stupid franchise tag eliminated from teams to schools. I think it's just very unfair to players. I think it limits the contract negotiations. I think it hides transparency between the team and the player and really creates issues where teams and players have falling out. So if I'm a player and an agent, I'm lobbying hard to get rid of this franchise tag. These CBA negotiations in baseball and the NFL are going to be fascinating. The baseball people are pissed on both sides, especially the players, especially the union. They can't agree on anything right now. And these football teams are a little suspicious. You're seeing wording word wording worked into contracts about a potential work stoppage. I don't think people are paying enough attention to this. Yeah, I think of it from a player, like from a GM perspective and from a player perspective, I understand that football, like anything in the world, is being able to have valuable assets that give you a big return and that's what these players do when they're coming out of college and they're on their rookie contracts and stuff but from a GM perspective the transparency needs to be there you know with the player and say okay well the market was set at this let's talk the year, your last year of your contract and see if we can find common ground and depending on the year you have maybe we'll increase you know if you hit these metrics in this year we'll be able to bump your contract up X percent, and then we'll be able to get this deal signed when the season's over, avoiding free agency, avoiding anything. From a, team, from a planning perspective, it helps out tremendously. You, you know exactly what you're going to do when free agency hits. Now you look at, you know, we, we were talking about Landon Collins earlier today. You know, there are reports that he cleaned out his locker, didn't clean out his locker, he took stuff that he doesn't need anymore. You know, so you're telling me that, there's no benefit from the Giants' standpoint to talk to Landon Collins and say, hey, we evaluated the market last year. We evaluated the season you had this year. We're going to be able to offer you this amount of money. Let's avoid this whole mess and not ruin any relationship that we have. Clearly, that's not the case. These football, you know, 
the big thing in sports that it's never going to change is the picks and contact contest with everything that's done. It's ego, it's this, I'm the man, I'm the big man, I'm in charge. Well, you know, that's why teams suffer, why players get big contracts and go to crappy teams and you never hear from them again or um, people get fired. So, I mean, case in point, we all saw Hard Knocks and, and Hugh Jackson saying, I'm the bus driver, I'm, we're going wherever I want to go. Oh, that's why you were 1-32 and got fired. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. I'm curious as somebody who who is fascinated by the betting and the sports um, the, the the sports betting um, angle of things where do you see the biggest since it became legalized where have you seen the biggest change is it in the media coverage is it in the amount is it in lines changing because of money being put in does it seem like there's an influx what have you noticed since since legalized betting became a thing. I mean, there's definitely money coming in, and it's been profitable for those states. And I think that there's a hearing in May um, about something to see how much more, how many more states will be able to get involved and be able to monetize it and get it situated. But it's, I just think it provides more freedom to people that get gamble. I, you know, you don't want to keep going through back channels or bookies or whatever it is and being able to have a outlet to do it the right way is, is really what's beneficial to everybody and you can track everything you can get W2s or whatever the hell it is that you get for tax purposes yeah granted you're getting taxed on it but you avoid any sort of illegal activity so it, it wouldn't be a surprise to me within the next five years that the entire country has some sort has it's allowed to bet no matter where you are same thing with weed it's just going to help people it's just, it's just going to help with tax revenues and you put free tax revenue out there potentially look at the handle new jersey's put in uh brought in sorry since it became legalized and when, when you put that out there um it becomes a big deal so um I'm, I'm totally with you is there anything else you want to talk about before we end this podcast no, I think I'm good for now. I mean, we'll see what happens in the next couple of days and, uh, you know, some interesting sporting events on the calendar uh, coming up. So, Which includes the WGC Mexico Championship on Golf Channel NBC, which I'm sure you'll be watching. Uh, yeah, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> oh, Mike Tirico's calling hockey tonight on NBCSN. His first ever hockey play-by-play uh, broadcast ever. Well, that should be interesting. Tariko's got—he's got a great voice, and he's a yes. so he obviously will do a great job. Lives in Ann Arbor, watches a lot of uh, Red Wings games. Um, th- this is a one-off. He's not. This is this is not the start of something. This is just you know the long regular season. You got to find ways to keep it fresh, and this is another idea just to keep the broadcast fresh. So. Uh, away we go and away he goes and we'll see how he does tonight on Wednesday Night Hockey on NBCSN thank you sir for coming on Teeing It Up no problem man have a good night you got it and thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling